Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Quincy on the Law. This is Quincy and we're here for another episode of Quincy on the Law. So I promise that this will be the final and last time that we talk about presidential immunity because today I want us to look at what the Supreme Court said about presidential immunity. This was in the BBI appeal that was finally decided at the Apex Court of Kenya. So before we delve into it, a slight recap of what the Court of Appeal said. You must recall from our previous episode that the majority decision of the Court of Appeal upheld the finding of the High Court to the effect that the President can be, could be sued in his personal capacity during his tenure of office for anything done or not done contrary to the Constitution. It was their view that it was apparent from Article 143, sub-Article 2, that the president or any other person holding out office is only protected from civil proceedings in respect of anything done or not done in the exercise of their powers under the constitution. We must also recall that one of the judges expressed a different opinion. That was just, this was Justice Tuyot. He found that Article 143, Sub-Article 2 and Sub-Article 3 read together struck a balance by giving fun functional immunity to a sitting president during his tenure of office but leaving it open for him to still be held personally accountable once out of office for any act or omission in his official capacity that was contrary to the constitution. So that's basically what the Court of Appeal held in terms of presidential immunity, although the case had many other issues. So when I was reading this decision, I looked at the summary of the arguments that were before the court by the appellants. I can look at as something that the Attorney General was saying. Uh, he cited Articles 143, 144, and 145 of the Constitution and argued that the rationale for presidential immunity is simply to allow a sitting president to exercise his constitutional duties without the fear of civil litigation. Moreover, he, he, he tried to assert that the nature of the various roles the president plays as the head of state and government, the commander-in-chief of the armed forces, the chairperson of the National Security Council, these roles require him to have some decisional freedom that will enable him to safeguard the interests of the country. He also argued that the superior courts below, that's the High Court and the Court of Appeal, failed to undertake a holistic reading of Article 143 of the Constitution of Kenya. Uh, according to another two senior councils who are the president's council, Senior Council Lawyer Gatone and Mohamed Nyauga, they drew a comparison between presidential immunity and judicial immunity. They went on further to state that criminal immunity is expressly limited and does not extend to crimes under inter international treaties ratified by Kenya. And similarly, Judicial immunity is expressly limited to acts done in good faith, and therefore, if the drafters of the constitution intended to limit civil immunity uh, of the president, then they would have expressly stated so. They argued that Article 143 does not preclude the president from being held personally liable for any unlawful actions during his term once he is out of office. But whilst he is in office, they maintained that there are only two remedies. You can either sue the AG or call for an impeachment for gross violation of the constitution. There were some litigants who were acting pro se, meaning they were representing themselves. One was 
uh, Isaac Aluchier, he argued that presidential immunity under Article 143 does not extend to constitutional violations by the president. Uh, according to Dr. Jack Mumali, he argued that if the, if the Attorney General's argument on presidential immunity was to be upheld, then it would have the effect of hoisting the holder of the office of the president above the law and absolutely immunize his conduct from judicial scrutiny. So some of those are some of the arguments that were given by the appellants. Uh, I won't go into what the respondents said, but I'll go into what each of the judges said. Of course, as hierarchy demands, I'm going to start with the Chief Justice, Lady Justice Kome. Lady Justice found that the Court of Appeal had already found that the President was not fired, was not served with uh, petition number E400 of 2020 in the proceedings before the High Court, in which the question of presidential immunity arose. Having found that the President was not served, it was improper for the Court of Appeal to proceed thereon and adjudicate the question of interpretation of Article 143, sub-Article 2 of the Constitution. She purposed to go behind and explain it by teasing out the purpose and animating the ideas behind presidential immunity. She insisted that we must recognize that uh, immunity uh, from legal proceedings usually takes two forms. The first immunity is immunity from liability. This protects officials and not it protects officials, not from proceedings being undertaken, but from personal liability at the end of the proceedings, which relate to the enforcement. The second immunity from proceedings is a broader form of immunity that overthrows the courts or the tribunal's jurisdiction to hear a matter in question because the party against whom the proceedings are undertaken enjoys such immunity. In this sort of immunity, neither proceedings nor liability may arise. It is also necessary to recognize the distinction between sovereign immunity and functional immunity. She asserted that sovereign immunity is the immunity enjoyed by a sovereign state on behalf of the heads of state or the representatives who have diplomatic immunity and entails that the holders of such immunity cannot be subjected to the jurisdiction of certain courts, either their own or foreign. In contrast, functional immunity is conferred on state or public officers not to be tried or made liable for acts which are usually done in good faith but in the discharge of their official functions. We all know that uh, sovereign immunity emanates from the tradition that a sovereign cannot be subjected to its own courts without its consent, while the latter, which is functional immunity, derives from the need to let persons lawfully performing their functions to not be subjected to unnecessary suits. Moreover, there is also absolute and qualified immunity. Absolute immunity has no limitations as to its application, while qualified immunity usually has limitations like the extent of actions and whether related to the official function, or whether done lawfully and in good faith or out of malice, or whether it was a discretional act or not, and wherever there's discretion, you know, it can't be exercised in a willy-nilly fashion. It's exercised upon, set upon principles, canons which have been uh, in practice, set by case law, <laughs> let me not get out of hand, let's stick to what the judge was saying. So the judge made reference to a certain piece of uh, literature. This was by Charles Manga Fombard and Nina Nwache, that sounds Nigerian. It's called Africa's Imperial Presidents, Immunity, Impunity and Accountability, 
It was published in 2012 in the African Journal of Legal Studies. I guess it's volume five. The judge also went to draw instances of immunity of public officials as found in the constitution. She looked at article 165, which is where a judicial officer is liable in an act, is, uh, judicial officers are not liable in respect of anything done in good faith in the lawful performance of their functions. She went to and looked at Article 259, where members of a commission or independent offices are not liable for actions done in good faith in the performance of the functions of their office. She also cited that the Privileges and Immunities Act and the Parliamentary Powers and Privileges Act of 2017, they provide for different scopes of immunities for respective individuals. So she was of the view that it sticks out like a sore thumb that all the officials set out above enjoy immunity as persons, holders of the office, uh, perhaps members of the commission, but not their offices. Whereas the president enjoys immunity as both the person in the office and the office itself. I, I, I guess you know what I mean. Uh, for, for example, President Uhuru in his personal capacity and the office of the presidency. He enjoys immunity of both uh, levels. Now, the president enjoys immunity from proceedings in any court, whereas the other officials enjoy immunity from liability, but not expressly from proceedings that lead up to the liability. Thirdly, the president's immunity is limited to the duration of their tenure of office, whereas that of other officials would remain beyond even the tenure of the office. This is to say that the person performing the functions of the office of the president ceases to enjoy immunity from proceedings once they cease to hold office as president, but the other officials continue to enjoy immunity for the actions they did while they were still in office. Good, good distinction. Uh, so, she wanted to say that the immunity of the president is not qualified by good faith, whereas that of the other officials is qualified by the requirement or the assumption that they performed the, function, the functions in good faith. This leads to the inescapable conclusion that the immunity of the president is unlike that of other state actors. The president not only enjoys functional immunity like all public officials who perform state duties which protect them from civil, li civil liability for official functions, they further enjoy sovereign immunity as the head of state and the single representation of, a, of the sovereignty of the republic. Indeed, it is only sovereign immunity that can immunize anyone against both proceedings and criminal liability. This must be the explanation why all other public officials will be liable to criminal prosecutions even while in office, but the president would not only have criminal proceedings instituted against them, but also any criminal proceedings that may have been ongoing would be discontinued in the duration of the president's tenure in office. It is this sovereign immunity that the head of state, like all the heads of state, all other heads of state, enjoy that makes Article 143, Sub-Article 4 relevant in that the immunity shall be waived by consent of the Republic through ratification of a treaty that forbids such immunity. Likewise, that is also, to, that is also why this immunity from proceedings and especially criminal liability is limited to the duration which a person represents the sovereignty of the Republic and expires upon expiry of such term. She said that the two superior courts below, especially the majority opinion of the Court of Appeal, 
relied on the phrase under Article 143.2, which says that in the exercise of their powers under this constitution, in Article 143.2, to emphasize that when the president exercises powers not granted by the constitution, then such immunity is extinguished. She conceded that it is true that that is one of the interpretations that one may obtain from a plain reading of the sabbatical. But she reverted and said that a purposive interpretation of the constitution of the, of the constitution and of that phrase yields a different result. She said that if you take into account the logic and animating idea behind Article 143, Sabbatical 2, then you will reach an interpretation of the phrase to mean that the immunity is in relation to the president's official function and not personal suits. You see, part of the president's role in the performance of their functions is the interpretation of the constitution as to whether or not it gives them power to perform particular roles. Upon such interpretation, the president either acts or fails to act in the belief that either that power exists or does not exist. It would follow then that if the proceedings were to be instituted against the president after an interpretation which is considered to have been a wrong interpretation, then such proceedings would fall within the immunity contemplated by Article 143, Sub-Article 2. I get, I get, I get, I get, I get the ladies, I get the good lady justice's position. It, it, it actually makes some sense. Now, she went on to say the protection of a person, of the president, or a person acting in the office of the president from legal proceedings was a clear desire by Kenyans as captured in the CKRC final report which recorded records at page 425 that the president should receive protection from any legal proceedings that may be instituted during his tenure of office. This year, she's in, essentially gone back to the drafters of the constitution and what they meant by the provisions that are in the current constitution. She stated that the findings of the superior courts, that's the high court and the court of appeal, had the ramifications of rendering an article 143.2 of the constitution ineffective or superfluous. She therefore agreed with Justice Tuyot and stated that the president, that civil proceedings cannot be instituted against the president or a, perform, or a person performing the functions of the office of the president during the tenure of office in respect of anything done or not done contrary to the constitution. Such proceedings can be instituted against the president provided the attorney general. And with that, the, that was the good lady justice's opinion. Uh, she overturned, she, she ruled against the court of appeal and agreed with Justice Stewart, the dissenting judge in the court of appeal uh, bench. We will now move on to Lady Justice Mulu's opinion. So Lady Justice Mulu framed the question as, can the constitution in Article 143 be said to be granting absolute immunity from civil proceedings to the president? She went back in time and, look, and said that and looked at Kenya Azad post two post two two post twenty ten constitution presidents. That was Moi Kibaki who ushered in the constitution by promulgating it in twenty ten, and Uhuru Kenyatta, who is our current president. There is no evidence of any proceedings of a civil nature having been instituted against President Moi Kibaki during his tenure as the president. There is, however, evidence of civil proceedings being instituted against him prior to and after his tenure. 
in the case of the Kenya National Commission on Human Rights versus the Attorney General and another, declaratory reliefs were sought against the president arising out of his assent to the Presidential Retirement Benefits Amendment Act of 2012 for violating the Constitution. In that case, the Attorney General appeared for the president. As for the current president, other than Mr. Aluachir, who has previously instituted a suit against him, no other civil suit comes to mind. So, at that level of constitutional mandate and authority, the president needs to have the operational confidence to take certain executive measures in order to effectively govern the country without the colloquial sort of Damocles hanging over his head, worrying about the consequences of his actions or omissions when executing his functions as president. I see what you did there. Immunity from civil proceedings also shields the president from being pursued for other civil interests by citizens privately, in particular through litigation and court process that is largely adversarial in Kenya. Allowing a president to be subject of civil suits inevitably exposes him to court attendances, court testimonies, cross-examination, and ultimately execution in the process execution process in the event that the president is found liable to settle civil debts. This may escalate to committal to civil jail as a mode of execution. All these scenarios are as undesirable as they are distracting. As the president of the country, he should be available as possible to execute his official functions. She cited a paper by Mandane Reno, which was titled Ending Impunity, Critical Reflections on the Persecution of Heads of State, which was published in the University of Toronto Law Journal, Volume 61, Number 1 of 2011, at pages 163 to 171. And in that paper, they noted that since 1990, nearly 70 heads of state have been prosecuted for crimes committed while in office. In another book uh, titled Prosecuting Heads of State by Ellen L. Lutz and Kathleen Ruger, published by the Cambridge University Press in 2009, the question whether the rule of law can truly be enhanced by prosecutions inextricably linked to political motivations. That was the question being uh, asked in the paper. The authors concluded by cautioning against the over-reliance on judicial accountability mechanisms in transitional justice contexts. Uh, closer home in our jurisprudence, there are cases that stood or have been instituted against former presidents once they left in office. And she cited a number of them. Instances, Michael Mbell versus Daniel Turipi, Charat Moy, uh, Madingira Holzelas versus Kimoti Kanungu, uh, the many, many, many cases. In conclusion, she found that the president was not properly served with the pleadings that arose in the petition in which the question of presidential immunity was an issue, was a legal issue, and he was therefore not afforded an opportunity to participate in the proceedings in his personal capacity in which he had been sued. Now, what was more, apt and germane to the proceedings was that the president, uh, she ruled that the president, as under Article 143, Article 2, enjoys absolute immunity from civil proceedings during his tenure in office. So that was Lady Mulu's opinion. Uh, we will move on to the next judge, which was Justice Ibrahim, Supreme Court Judge. Uh, Justice Ibrahim began by analyzing the provisions of presidential immunity as per the rebuilt constitution and the current constitution 
he went on to look at the CKRC report where it was noted that regarding presidential immunity, some Kenyans want no legal immunity for a former president, but others think the constitution should provide for it. The commission, she noted that the commission in the CKRC report did not make any recommendations in that regard. So he went on to analyze and state that the first is immunity based on the functions they perform termed as functional immunity or immunity rationa materiae. In other words, this is immunity for acts performed in an official capacity. The immunity is functional to the work of the official or this official of the state. It attaches to the function and not to the individual. The second type of uh, immunity is the more pertinent and present in the deliberation is immunity granted, granted to certain officials because of the office they hold. This immunity is termed as personal immunity or immunity rationae personae. It is immunity given to individuals by virtue of their position of the position they hold, and it is applied to three main offices: heads of state, heads of governments, or ministries of foreign affairs. This immunity attaches to the individual and covers acts, both private and official, committed prior to and while the official holds office. Further, it is considered to be temporary and it takes effect as soon as the official takes office and ceases as soon as they leave office. A head of state is accorded immunity rationae personae, not only because of the functions he performs, but also because of what he symbolizes, the sovereign state. The person and position of the head of state reflects the sovereignty of the state and the immunity accorded to him is in part due to the respect for the dignity of the office and the state which that office represents. This mutual respect is underpinned by the principle of par imparem non habet imperium, Latin for equals have no sovereignty over each other, which is the basis for the immunity of states from the jurisdiction of other states. Justice Ibrahim fully endorsed the description of the uniqueness of the presidency that was subscribed by the U.S. Supreme Court in the Nixon case. It would be prejudicial to the balance required under the, under the doctrine of separation of powers to have the president liable to arrest, imprisonment, or detention for his decisions while in office. Further, it would be prejudicial for the courts to review and nullify decisions of the president without the relevant information held in secret and sometimes made in times of emergency. However, that position notwithstanding, and taking up a passive approach as required under Article 259 of the Constitution, the President being an office created under the Constitution in order to serve the people cannot be considered to be above the law, surely. The provision on immunity must be read against the backdrop of a historical imperial presidency who through hyper-constitutional amendments, concentrated power in himself. The judge found value in the finding by the court, the U.S. court in Halperin versus Kissinger, that under the doctrine of separation of powers, they do not require presidential, absolute presidential immunity. The judge was in agreement with the words of uh, Lord Justice Kiyaki of the Court of Appeal when the good Lord Justice stated that 
those values and principles alongside constitutionalism, which denotes limited government, must mean that the office of the president, being a creature of the constitution, is and must be, and must be subordinate to the constitution, and its holder must be held to account for his acts and omissions. The president is not above the constitution or the law, and is not a law in, unto himself or herself. In recognition of the, of the preeminence and importance of the office of the president, the constitution grants protection to the holder thereof, to the end that he should not be unduly impaired in the performance of his unique duties. That protection cannot, by any stretch of the imagination, be extended to cover any act or omission, including those outside of or in violation of the constitution. However, in agreeing with the judge, Lord Justice Ibrahim, that ruled that, pursuant to Article 143.2 of the Constitution of Kenya, no civil proceedings can be instituted against the president or a person performing the functions of the president during their tenure of office with regards to anything done or not done contrary to the Constitution. So that was Justice Ibrahim's ruling. We will swiftly move to Justice Wanjala's. Justice Wanjala began, he began shooting straight, Justice Mugi Wanjala. He said that there is no difference between civil proceedings and constitutional proceedings. In that regard, the appellants contended that the president is only shielded from civil proceedings but not from constitutional proceedings. So, if the president acts or omits to act in contravention of the constitution, then he ought not only be personally sued, but also be personally held responsible for any loss incurred as a result of his actions or inact or omissions. He found considerable difficulty in appreciating the rationale or basis upon which first the High Court found that notwithstanding the clear and unambiguous language in Article 143, Sub-Article 2, the president, they found that the president can still be sued in his personal capacity for acts or omissions alleged to be in violation of the Constitution, the president remains as such until he vacates office. One cannot be a president at one time, at one given time, and a private citizen at a different time. It stands to reason that in view of the provisions of Article 143.2 of the Constitution, no civil proceedings under that article can be instituted against the president during his tenure in office. He stated that, as for what will happen if the president embarks on a destructive mission, that is, in violative, that is violative of the Constitution, as apprehended by the High Court. Any party can always take out judicial review proceedings under the realm of public law against such violation of the Constitution. He stated that as for the Court of Appeals holding to the effect that civil proceedings can be instituted against the President during his tenure of office for his actions or omissions in his capacity as a private citizen, I, he, in equal measure, didn't find that, didn't find that any legal or constitutional basis for such a position. The court had already held elsewhere that there is no dis dis distinction between civil and constitutional proceedings in the scheme of rights enforcement litigation. So that was Justice Wanjala's opinion. We will now swiftly move to Justice Jokin Dungo's opinion, Supreme Court Judge. So Justice Joki began by citing a paper done by Professor Dapo Wakande in its cited immunities of state officials according to international crimes and foreign domestic courts uh, published in the european journal for international law in 2011. therein 
it was posited that a president's immunity falls under the category of immunity known as functional immunity. Remember the Latin word rationa materiae, which applies to acts performed in an official capacity and continues to apply even once the official has left office. The rationale for presidential immunity comes from the enormous responsibility bestowed upon a president as the sole source of executive power. You see, immunity from legal proceedings is designed to permit a president to discharge his obligations with as much autonomy as possible, without anxiety that court proceedings are probable to disturb, humiliate, or encumber him from focusing on his duties. It is to shield the dignity of the office of a president and not him personally. In my inner view, presidential immunity could be compared to that of judges. And we've compared that, compared that in the opinion of Justice uh, Kome and Justice uh, Muyu. So it was her finding that the president, in appointing the BBI task force and the BBI steering committee, committee was discharging his constitutional mandate of promoting and enhancing unity of the nation. And for that reason, there was no basis for concluding that the president's actions contravened the constitution to deprive him of the, of the immunity provided for under Article 133. Well, that was Justice Njaki's opinion. We will now move to Justice Leonola's opinion. Justice Leonola started by agreeing that although the president enjoys immunity, there is nothing barring the institution of constitutional proceedings challenging the exercise of presidential powers. Indeed, under Article 258 of the Constitution, it states that every person has the right to institute court proceedings, claiming that the Constitution has been contravened. But Article 258 is qualified by the provisions of Article 133 on institution of court proceedings against the president. You must always know that we interpret the Constitution as one. It's called the, the doctrine of harmony. Now, from the findings by the courts in the above cases in the, that he cited, the Attorney General is the one to be sued whenever the president has contravened the provisions of the Constitution. Once a party had sued the president in his personal name, the Attorney General could not represent him. And just like in this case, the president had to hire his lawyers to represent him. However, for actions touching on his mandate as president, and the president should not even be sued in his personal name, and his remedy lies in costs should he be so sued. If the president violates the law, Article 145.1 of the Constitution lays down an elaborate, an elaborate procedure for his removal through impeachment. Justice Lenaula also did a comparison between presidential immunity and judicial immunity. He stated that judges enjoy absolute immunity and are immunized from any action or suit on account of their performance of a judicial function. Though being of the honest opinion, judges are fallible human beings. And the judge duly noted that there does exist mechanisms through which errors committed by judicial officers in the discharge of their judicial function may be corrected. He went on to note that judges cannot be sued in court in their personal capacities while discharging their judicial function. It would be incomprehensible to find that judges are protected from being personally sued under Article 165 of the Constitution than to find to the contrary that the president can be sued in his personal capacity for acts done during his tenure in office. He concluded that the president cannot be sued in his personal name for alleged violation of the Constitution 
And should he be sued for whatever reason, then the proper respondent should be there, should be the attorney general and not the president in his personal capacity. So that was the ruling by Justice Lemaola. We would move to the ruling by Justice William Oko. Justice William Oko took the position that the Court of Appeal, having arrived at the conclusion that the president was not heard in his defense on allegations of breaching Chapter 6 of the Constitution, then it was moot for them to consider whether the president was properly sued in his personal capacity. You see, the actions or omissions of the president during the tenure of office must be presumed to be done or not done in the exercise of the powers under the Constitution, because ultimately, the intention of the framers of the Constitution was to protect him from civil suits for personal liabilities while serving the nation, performing official functions. He cited the CKRC report at pages 27 one, and page 425, wherein it was recommended that the President should receive protection from any legal proceedings that may be instituted during his tenure of office. He concluded that the immunity of the President in Article 143 like those extended to other, the other two branches of government, the legislature and the judiciary, is in the public interest. Immunity under Article 143 is in the public interest. It is intended to insulate the office holder of the presidency from the fear of personal liability for official functions and omissions. It is essentially meant to protect the dignity of the office of the president and not the person of the president. The president will only lose his immunity if he leaves office or it is impeached, and he therefore held that the president cannot be personally sued. So the final finding of the court, which was unanimous, the apex court of Kenya, the Supreme Court, it held that civil proceedings cannot be instituted in any court against the president or the person performing the functions of the office of the president during their tenure of office in respect of anything done or not done under the Constitution of Kenya 2010. Now, the Apex Court has settled on the issue. Their ruling is final and it is binding on all other courts. So I suppose this is our last topic on the issue of presidential immunity as it applies to Kenya. I would like to revisit it and see it as it applies to another jurisdiction to see the differences to, so we can construct, we can animate the ideas behind it, uh, interrogate the logic, examine the essence of presidential immunity. But this is, is, this is to conclude on the issue as per Kenyan law. <clears throat> so ladies and gentlemen, this is Quincy. And this is Quincy on the law. Please subscribe for more.